This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. guys. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. And if it's your first time with us at First Baptist today, we are in a series on the book of Acts called Empowered. Uh, And we're going to see the power of the Spirit at work in chapter 19 of Acts uh, today. We're, We're talking about smashing idols. The action here, and like all of Acts, chapter 19 is full of action is, is, is uh, takes place in the city of Ephesus. It was a city where tons of idolatry was present. It's a place of intense spiritual warfare. And we're going to see how Paul uh, and, and the missionary team that he's with are, are doing ministry in that city. We're going to see the power of the Spirit at work. And I think we're going to see principles that will help us because we're in a spiritual battle ourselves. And we are constantly tempted with idols. Maybe not ones made out of silver, like the ones in Ephesus, but sometimes ones that are, that are even more deadly. Because anything that usurps the rightful place of God in our lives is, is an idol that needs to be dealt with. And so we're talking about that today. Let's look um, at verses 11 and following of Acts chapter 19. So we pick up the action here. This is taking place in the city of Ephesus where it says beginning in verse 11 that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, He himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen and similar trades and said, Men, 
You know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger. Not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion and they rushed together into the theater dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not even know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with them have a com complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let's pray. Fathers, we look today at, at this ministry in first century Ephesus. We're reminded of a 21st century world that we live in, where there is so much confusion, so much spiritual lostness, so much spiritual warfare and we face this every day we live in a world like Ephesus that is so confused so lost so broken and we need you we need your strength we need the power of your spirit we need your word and so we pray that you would equip us by the power of your spirit with your word today for the battle that we face. Help us to smash the idols in our own lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a hot and muggy night in Haiti two years ago, and our, our mission team had, had attended a, a revival outside that night in sort of a, a public area of Moe. And at the end of the evening, the invitation was, was given, and as it was going on, we, we noticed that there was sort of a, a crowd gathered, and there was a young woman that was on the ground. It almost looked like she was having some sort of a seizure. But then we were told that 
this young woman had come forward that night confessing her involvement with voodoo and that she was convulsing because demons were exiting her body. And it felt like we were in Galilee in the first century. It sounded just like something out of the gospels. But you know, demonic power is not something that was contained to the first century. It's something that's happening actively in the 21st century. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 tells us about the battle that we face. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Acts 19 is a chapter that is just filled with these clashes between light and darkness. And that's where we begin today. The first thing we see here is how to meet and not meet the enemy. Let's look at verses 11 and following. So it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's a cautionary paragraph, isn't it? It tells us about the danger of, of, of fooling around with demonic power when you're not clothed in the power of Jesus. Because the people who were doing this were using the name of Jesus, but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And we see the result of, of, of that. We, we try, to, try to trifle with demonic power without being clothed in the power of Christ. I mean, we're, we're in for a beating or worse. But if we know the Savior, if we're clothed in his power, we have no reason to fear demonic power. What do we see in the Gospels time and time again? When Jesus approaches people who are possessed by demons, whenever he gets close to the demons, first of all, the demons recognize immediately who he is. In the Gospels, the demons recognize Jesus before anybody else does. And what do they do when they see Jesus? They're terrified. They, they, they fall before him, trembling in fear, begging him not to torment them. So that same Jesus that makes demons tremble lives within us as believers. And 1 John 4, 4 says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so if you know Jesus, 
He is within you. If you're walking in the spirit, you're walking in his power. The demons have more reason to fear the Christ within you than you have to fear them. And sometimes, God makes a very public display of his triumph over demonic power. We've got a team headed to Bangkok, Thailand this week, and we're going to pray for them before we leave today. And I read about something that happened a few years ago in the city of Bangkok. There was a team there, it's a pastor, Erwin McManus, and he had this team of people from his church. He had his two children as well who were quite small at the time. And the last night of their trip, they went out and they were going to get some things before they, they got on the plane. And streets of Bangkok just super busy with traffic and Irwin was trying to look out for the group and make sure they were okay uh, and be a dad at the same time. But, but he took his eye off of his eight-year-old daughter, Mariah, and she slipped out into the street, was hit by a car. The impact of the car was so great that he could just see her little body bent around the hood of the car and she was thrown like a rag doll into the, this busy street in Bangkok. And at that exact moment, there were hundreds of sparrows that were uh, above them, and it was like that they were making this agonized, tormented, uh, screeching noise. <clears throat> and they later found out that a lot of times sparrows were used in sort of occultic rituals in Bangkok, and it was almost in that moment as if these birds were channeling demonic power. And hundreds of people saw this. They're all gathered around. And Erwin frantically ran over to his little girl. She popped up off the street, not a bone broken. And as he cradled her in his arms, he found himself just saying, almost as if someone else were saying it. He found himself saying to these, this huge crowd that had gathered around, Mariah is a follower of Jesus Christ. God has protected her. And, and the sparrows ceased to screech. There was just total calm, total peace on that street. You see, God, it was God making just a public display for the glory of his name and for the advance of the gospel, making a, a stunning public display of his power, his triumph. And that's what happened here. Let's check out uh, verse, uh, verse 17. <clears throat> it says that this became known. What happened here? God's triumph over demonic power became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And so it got out. I mean, what God's triumph over the demonic just became news for, the, for God's fame and renown and for the spread of the gospel in Ephesus. God does things like that sometimes. The second thing that we see here in, in chapter 19 is how to make a clean break with evil. Let's look at verses 18 and 19. It 
also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So to understand what's going on here, we need to understand something about first century Ephesus. It was known for two things. First of all, it was the center of Artemis worship in the world. The second thing it was known for, which was closely related to the first, was the occult. It was filled with occultic practices. And so when Luke tells us here that many of these, these, new, these new believers came confessing and divulging their practices, the practices that he's talking about are occultic practices. These people have been involved in the occult. In fact, New Testament scholar Craig Keener points out that at the end of verse 18, when he says that they came divulging their practices, literally it's saying they came divulging their spells. In other words, they, the, these, these writings that they used were used to, to cast demonic spells. They were like demonic incantations. And so these people were practitioners of the Ephesia Grammata, which is the, the Ephesian writings, which were these, they, these were, they were, they were written uh, spells that were sort of recited as incantations to almost to channel demonic power. <clears throat> and so these people have been set free from this. And so they come forward and they, they confess it. They confess their involvement with it. And it's part of their, their display of following Jesus. They, they take these things which were worth an incredible amount of money and they, just, they, they, they burn them. Now, you know, when we think about burning books, I mean, sometimes we think about the Nazis, you know, or we think about uh, people who burn books because they don't like, the, 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 the books became, uh, contain ideas you know, that they don't agree with or whatever. Obviously, it's, we, don't, we shouldn't burn books because they contain ideas that we don't agree with or whatever. That, that's not what's happening here. What they're burning is demonic paraphernalia. This is not, what, what could they do? What, what could they, they weren't gonna, this is not the type of thing that you're gonna, you know, stuff away in the closet. <laughs> because it would be a constant temptation. I mean, these people are coming out of this. And, and so they couldn't keep it around. It would, it would provide, it would be a source of temptation. It's not something that they could give to somebody else. You know, it's, these, are, these are writings that have been used to cast demonic spells on people. Well, these believers were no longer in bondage, nor did they want to put anybody else under bondage. <clears throat> no, there's only one thing left to do with this stuff, and that was just get rid of it, burn it when I was studying <clears throat> for this message, um, I got in touch with, with Laurie, who many of you know, if you don't know her yet, if you're, if you, if you're here, you'll, you'll get to know Laurie because she's, she's one of our, uh, our, our gospel workers that is closely related to our church and she serves a people group in Southeast Asia that 
uh, has lived in bondage to this kind of thing for centuries. Um, and so I reached out to her and, and she emailed me some, some pictures of what happens when people become followers of Jesus and her people group. So the first picture that you see here, <clears throat> these pieces of paper contain exactly what you see in chapter 19 of Acts. These are um, spells they, that, are, that are read as a channel of a conduit of, of demonic power. Spells that are placed over people, keeping them in bondage. And so when these people in Laurie's people group become believers, you know, they have to get rid of this stuff. It's, it's the instrument of their bondage. It's the paraphernalia of their bondage. And so they, they bring this out. Second picture, um, what you see here, uh, <laughs> the thing that looks almost like an orange birthday hat. <laughs> it's not a birthday hat. Uh, this is an idol. Uh, this is an idol of the spirit that they worship. So when they become believers, they get all this stuff together. And the third picture shows you what they do, right? It's a clean break. A clean break with evil, right? So when Christ sets us free, I mean, we can't keep around instruments of our bondage, right? Uh, you just can't do with that. You can't, you can't ride the fence. You can't, you can't play around, you know, with stuff that's kept you in bondage. I mean, that's got to be dealt with, right? You've got to burn your bridges. And, and, and not only that, but publicly, right? They, in Acts 19, they, it says that they, they brought all, their, all these things together and burned them in the sight of all. Why? Because they're... Their involvement with the occult had been public. And so therefore their renunciation of the occult needed to be public as well. And when we follow Jesus, listen, make no mistake about it, we are called to go public. Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before people, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before people, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If we're serious about following Jesus, it means not only believing in our heart, but confessing with our mouth, going public with our faith. And the, and the way that we do that is first of all, through believers baptism, right? Baptism is about saying before everyone, this is who I am. I am an unashamed follower of Jesus. The old is gone, it's buried. I've been raised to walk in newness of life, burning my bridges, got a new life, united to Christ, right? We're called to, we're called to go public. And, and listen, when, when, when we do that, when we publicly follow Jesus, confess Jesus, there's a power that is unleashed. There's a power that's unleashed in our own lives. It's incredibly freeing. And there's a power that is communicated to, to other people as well. The Holy Spirit works through public, public displays of following Jesus. And, and that's what we see here. Let's look at, look at verse uh, 20. 
So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily as these believers are just going public with their faith. Third, third thing we see here in chapter 19, how to start a riot. (laughs) Now, I'm being facetious here because it wasn't the Christians that started the riot. Um, uh, It was other people. But it was the faithfulness of these Christians and their renunciation of idolatry that stirred up others to the point that a riot began. What happens here? Let's look at uh, verses 23 and following. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way is Christianity. Okay, this is, the, uh, this is one of Luke's favorite words for the Jesus movement, is the way. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So remember, Ephesus is known for two things. One's the occult, and the other is the worship of this false goddess, Artemis. It was actually the center of Artemis worship in the world. This image gives you, shows you the temple of Artemis. Sometimes it's less precisely called the temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And so people from all over the world in the first century would come here. They would come to Ephesus to worship this false god at this temple of Artemis. And while they were in Ephesus, they would usually buy these silver shrines, these idols of Artemis. But what's happening? As more and more people become followers of Jesus, they're not buying these idols anymore. And that means that some people are losing money. And this begins to stir things up. Verses 25 and following. These he gathered together, with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. You know, in, in pro sports, there's sort of a cynical saying that when an agent or an athlete says that it's not about the money, that it's all about the money. And make no mistake, this is, this is all about the money. Okay, these people, these, these, these dealers in idols... These craftsmen who make idols are, are being hit now in the wallet. And they're, they're going nuts. It's the same thing that happened in chapter 16. You remember when, when Paul was in Philippi? What is it that, what's the catalytic event that really unleashes the attack on the missionaries and the Christians in Philippi in chapter 16? It was when Paul cast the demon out of the slave girl who was being used by her owners to tell fortunes because she was demon possessed 
and she was doing this with demonic power, and when she became a believer, demons are gone. She's no longer telling fortunes, and she's no longer making money for her owners. That's when they attack Paul and, and, and the team, right? When they got hit in the wallet, they go crazy. What happens here? Verse 28 and following. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. So this is the theater in Ephesus. The ruins are very, very uh, visible today. And so uh, it was at this exact spot uh, where these believers were were dragged into. And, And Paul wanted to go and settle things down. They wouldn't let him go. They wouldn't let him go into this theater. Look at, um, look at verses 30 and following. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, these are local officials, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Why? Because they knew he'd be torn limb from limb. You know, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians at one point, Paul says, I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus. Most scholars believe that the wild beasts that he's talking about were not animals, although some Christians in the first century were thrown to to wild animals, lions and so forth. Um, But most scholars believe that what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians when he says, I fought with wild beasts in Ephesus, it's these people that were acting like beasts, this mob. Verses 32 and following. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not even know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours... They all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's just a picture of lostness, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, you know, these people just sort of mindlessly chanting praise to a God who doesn't exist, who can never hear them, who can never help them. I mean, it's just a picture of lostness, right? This is the world we live in. Spiritual confusion. Lostness, utter lostness. You say, well, you know, why, why do these... Why, why do Paul and these guys want to go to these people like this? It seems like they don't want them there. Because Jesus came to us when we were in rebellion and when we were lost and when we were not looking for him, what did he do? He came to us. And that's why we go. That's why we go to Islamic countries. That's why we go to countries that are in prison, you know, by all kinds of, of, uh, of, uh, of practices like this. 
It's why Laurie's in Southeast Asia. Okay, it's because Jesus came for us. And he came for us when we were not looking for him. That's why we go, because he came. He came for us. Verses 35 and following. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have, uh, you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, this is very revealing. This, this local official that stands up and quiets the crowd clearly is not a Christian. But he, even he has to admit here that these Christians have done nothing to provoke this attack. They simply proclaim the gospel. <laughs> and because they proclaim the gospel, People were following Jesus, and they weren't buying idols anymore. But in their conduct, this, this official is admitting, listen, these people have been, they've been courteous. You know, they, they've been kind. They haven't done anything to, they've been blameless. This is very important for us. Okay, because if we, if, if we offend people because of the gospel, that's okay. We can't, we can't do anything about that. Um, but we want to make sure that any offense that we give is due to the gospel and not because of us or the way that we're conducting ourselves. We're, we are to be blameless uh, in our own comportment, right? And kind uh, to, to people, loving uh, to people. But, but listen, sometimes the gospel itself, the truth itself gives offense. We can't do anything about that. We can't compromise the gospel. <laughs> and we've got to stand on the truth. But we always do that with love and with grace. Now what happens next? Paul has to leave. Paul leaves Ephesus at this point. It's just better at this point if he's not personally there. And he moves on to Macedonia. But, but what does he leave behind? Paul leaves behind a thriving church in Ephesus that's the legacy what's going to be our legacy what's going to be your legacy what are you going to leave behind are you investing your life you know investing your resources in things that are going to last forever let's pray Father we thank you for the faithfulness of those who have gone before. Thank you for the faithfulness of Paul and these brothers and sisters in Christ that we see in Ephesus. Um, thanks for Laurie's faithfulness in Southeast Asia. Lord, help us to be faithful here. You've, you've called us to be on mission right where we are. We pray for our team that's going out to, to Thailand, but 
help us to remember that every day that we wake up, whether no matter, no matter where we are, that you've called us to be on mission. Help us, to, help us to look at other people with our eyes wide open. As we live in the midst of a world that's so confused, so, uh, so broken, Lord, help us to be conduits of the gospel because Jesus came to us when we were broken. And Jesus took our brokenness on himself. He took our sins on himself. Even when we were not looking for him, he came to us, died for our sins, rose from the dead in triumph. And so Lord, help us to to look at people, to see them the way that you see them. Uh, and to look upon them not with, uh, not with a sense of self-righteousness or, or judgment, um, but to look upon them as people who are lost and in need of you. And you've put us in, in their lives and in this place and at this time to make a difference in their lives through the love of Christ, through the gospel. So we just continue to pray today and maybe you're here today and your need is Jesus you need to know him and you need to publicly say I'm following him in just a moment we're gonna we're gonna stand could be that maybe you're here today you say I, I need to follow Jesus Christ and we want to invite you to come I'm gonna be here at the front our pastors will be maybe you would say you know what I'm following Jesus publicly. I know I need to be baptized as a believer. We want to invite you to come and just let us know that. And our church wants to come alongside you and love you and celebrate with you. If you're here and God's speaking to you about saying, I want to be a part of this church family, we want to invite you to come. Come today. Say, I want to be a part of this family that's seeking to, to share the gospel together. So Lord, speak now uh, to our hearts, work in hearts. During this time of invitation, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.